If you'd like to open up, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 13 tonight. And we are back in our uh, expository verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through Isaiah here on Wednesday nights. And then uh, Sunday mornings, we just completed a seven-part series related to the promises and covenants of God. That's done. Uh, we, we finished that on Sunday. I encourage you to listen to that series if you weren't here. Seven messages, about seven hours long, a lot of information. Some of it you may need to listen to a couple of times. Uh, but it's pretty amazing to see how God predicted all the things that we see happening, especially related to the nation of Israel uh, being reborn and resurrected in their land. Now, as we come into Isaiah chapter 13, we are beginning a new section. Remember, uh, I told you that the prophecy of Isaiah from chapter 7 through chapter 12 was, was really one series of prophecies to King Ahaz, who was the king uh, of Judah at the time. Now we get into a new series of prophecies that start here in Isaiah chapter 13, and they go all the way through Isaiah chapter 23. And these are called the uh, prophecies of burdens or judgments against the nations surrounding Israel, uh, specifically nine nations that we're going to look at here uh, between Isaiah 13 and Isaiah uh, chapter 23, starting with the nation of Babylon. Now, on Sunday morning, I'm going to take some time on this, and we're going to look at the literal fulfillment of the prophecy of Babylon being destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. It's an incredible, incredible testimony of the Bible's accuracy in making predictions. Uh, really against all odds, God predicted and even called by name hundreds of years uh, before Cyrus was ever born that this king, this Persian king, Medo-Persian king named Cyrus, would deliver his people from the bondage of Babylon. And so it is, it is an amazing study. I will, I will dig into it on Sunday morning. But tonight, we're just going to go through each of the verses here in chapter 13. And then we will look at there is a secondary application or fulfillment of these prophecies related to, once again, the last days, related to the end times and specifically the tribulation period with the uh, spiritual Babylon, or uh, the whore of Babylon, as the book of Revelation calls this, uh, this new Babylon that's going to arise in the last days. Uh, so these are the prophecies of Isaiah against the nations, the burdens uh, of, of, of Isaiah against the enemies of Israel. So we read here in verse 1, the burden against Babylon which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. He says in verse 2, Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exultation. And so God is calling here. He is uh, basically calling the prophet to proclaim this judgment against Babylon. Now, the interesting thing is uh, the Bible scholars have such a problem, the, the skeptical Bible scholars, the ones who uh, don't believe in miracles and so forth, which really, uh, these are the guys that are teaching our pastors coming out of seminary today. They're all atheists. Most of the seminaries today are totally corrupt around the world. Uh, there are very, very few seminaries left who believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And so a lot of times, young men or young women, they go uh, to Bible college or go to seminary wanting to serve the Lord and go on the mission field or become men, young men want to become a pastor. And they go to seminary and they become atheists and they lose their faith because the professors are atheists and the professors don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture. So they try and explain away the miracles. They try and explain away the prophecies and things like that because they don't believe in miracles. Uh, but the reality is, is that God tells the future in advance. As a matter of fact, Babylon was not even a nation uh, of any reputation at this time. Uh, Assyria was the nation that was dominating the world at this time. This is probably written somewhere around 712 B.C., 
Uh, Assyria had already carried away captive in 722 BC the ten northern tribes of the nation of Israel. They were carried away captive by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were still the dominating world power at this time. Babylon, Babylon wasn't even a real uh, powerhouse at this time. Babylon was kind of like an insignificant uh, kind of rural tribal area at this point. And yet God calls Babylon out hundreds of years before they're even a powerful nation, certainly at least 120 years before Babylon became the powerful nation that it would become. And God was already talking about how he was going to judge Babylon because of how they were going to treat his people, Judah, when they would be carried away captive uh, into Babylon for 70 years. So again, there is a uh, a double fulfillment of this prophecy. There was a present fulfillment that took place within a couple of hundred years of when this prophecy was given. Um, and we're going to look at that more on Sunday. But then there was a future fulfillment related to the end times and the last days. He says in verse 4, The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations, Gathered together, the Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. Now, it is interesting that the roots of Babylon were rebellion against God. The very roots of the city of Babylon, in which the, the kingdom of Babylon would, uh, would, would arise, was the area where, uh, in the Ur of the Chaldees, the area where the Tower of Babel was built after Noah's flood. And what's amazing to me about uh, this, uh, this story, way back in the book of Genesis, is that the Tower of Babel was built so that man could pretty much bypass God and get directly into contact with the fallen angels, the Tower of Babel. Let me read to you, because this is the roots of Babylon. The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. This is after the flood, and this was Noah's family repopulating the earth after the flood, the animals repopulating the earth, and they all spoke one language after the flood. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And this would be where Babylon later would be founded, the, the nation of Babylon, the plain of, uh, land of Shinar. Then they said to one another, verse 3, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so the people were in rebellion against God right after the flood took place. They were already disobeying God's command to Noah, which was to repopulate the earth. God called them to go and repopulate the whole earth. And they're saying, we don't want to be scattered upon the whole earth. And so we're going to build ourselves a city and we're going to build ourselves a tower. Now, some of the ancient scholars believe that they built this tower high enough that in case there was another flood, they'd be able to survive the flood. And that was one of the reasons that they built this tower, so that God couldn't flood them out again. Uh, and so you already see the heart of rebellion among these people. Uh, not only that, but they are building a, a tower from, from bricks and, 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 and mortar and asphalt to reach to the heavens so that they would be able to contact the fallen angels. Now you see that this is exactly what the whole ancient world did after this. If you look at all of the ancient civilizations, you see towers or pyramids or ziggurats, whether it's throughout China, whether it's throughout uh, Africa, East Africa, South America, Mexico, Central America. You see that everywhere in the world that these people eventually were scattered after this, they did the same thing. They built ziggurats. They built pyramids in order to make contact with the fallen angels or the falling stars uh, or the demons, which they called gods in, in uh, ancient times. And they worshiped these demons. 
And so it's interesting. This is their first ziggurat that they built. They wanted to reach all the way to heaven. They definitely wanted to protect themselves in case there was another flood. They'd have some sort of an escape plan. And they want to make a name for themselves, they said. But the Lord came down, verse 5, to see the city of Babel and the tower of Babel, which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may, may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so God stopped them in this building project, because God said, there's some, sort of, there's some sort of a secret here that we don't really quite understand, that they were really trying to make contact with demons. And somehow, you know, these ancient civilizations, they did tap into these demonic powers, these demonic uh, mathematics and geometry and things, so that they could follow the stars, and they, they began to practice astrology, and they could communicate with spirit and spirit guides and the gods and so forth. They often would offer human sacrifices in these ziggurats or in these towers uh, in order to, again, open the veil between the spirit realm and the physical realm. And so God is saying, if they are successful in this, uh, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now, what's interesting is God stopped the Tower of Babel and scattered, and that's where uh, confusion came. The languages were confused. People couldn't communicate with each other anymore, and so therefore, uh, they couldn't complete the building project, this massive tower that they were building to the heavens. And so then they, they, they actually then scattered to the whole earth and, and populated the whole earth. But the, the only other time in history that we see man able to communicate with one tongue and one language is today in our modern, our modern uh, technological advancement. Man now can communicate with anyone, anytime, anywhere on the earth and speak the same language through computer coding to where you even have probably on your phone a translating app on your phone that's there automatically on the new phones where you could, you could speak to anybody in any language and they could understand you. You'd speak English into your phone. You'd tell them to play Mandarin Chinese. It'll translate your English into Mandarin Chinese and you could speak to somebody in China, and they could speak Mandarin Chinese to you, and it'll be translated automatically into English. So it's kind of a scary thought to think that this is the first time in human history that the whole world is speaking one language again. And we know that these are the roots of, of the uh, Antichrist government, which is going to come up in the last days to rule over the whole world, which will be the uh, spiritual Babylon based on this idea of the Tower of Babel, where man was trying to avoid having to need God and trying to go around God, bypass God, uh, to take care of himself without the help of God or without needing to go to God. And we know that uh, this is the roots of, of this rebellion. It goes way back to Lucifer and way back to Satan. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 14, he's going to actually call Lucifer out by name. Uh, uh, Satan out by name and talk about him in Isaiah chapter 14. But it, it is interesting uh, to, to, to know that today uh, everyone can speak the same language again and just like they wanted to in ancient times to bypass God and to reach to the heavens and communicate with the fallen angels, that's exactly what's going to happen again with mankind. They're going to they're cast off the belief in God and they are going to follow and, and serve and worship uh, God's uh, enemy the devil, the Antichrist, who's going to come and rule and reign over the earth. And then God will judge, once and for all judge, uh, the uh, rebuilt, revived uh, Babylon. So the prophecy against Babylon, the judgment or burden against Babylon, again, he says, the noise of the multitude in the mountains, Isaiah 13, 4, like that of many people, 
a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. We know that the Medes and the Persians came in around uh, 536 B.C., somewhere around there, uh, to conquer Babylon, who was the world power up until that time. From roughly uh, 616 B.C. up until about 539 B.C., the the Babylonians ruled over the Middle East and ruled over the known world, starting with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was uh, the king that besieged Jerusalem, first the general, and then he took over as king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem, and then conquered Jerusalem, and then carried the Jews away captive uh, into Babylon. You remember the statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream with the head of gold, and Daniel told him in Daniel chapter 2, the head of gold is you, Nebuchadnezzar. The, The glory of the Gentile kingdoms was Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and then it went downhill uh, from there, ending with uh, the Roman Empire and then the revived Roman Empire. Now, he says here that there's going to be many nations that are going to come against him. So now he's looking into the future and the future judgment, really speaking of the Battle of Armageddon. They come from a far country, verse 5, from the end of heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. And we know he's talking about the tribulation period because of what he says here in verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And remember, the day of the Lord is the day of God's judgment and then the day of the Messiah reigning for a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day, uh, and a day is like a thousand years to God. So this is the day of the Lord speaking of the end time. So there was a double fulfillment of the prophecy, as often prophecies were uh, fulfilled two times at least. Sometimes they were fulfilled three different times. They had a, a, a more modern fulfillment, and then they had a future fulfillment. So he says they're going to come from a far country, from the end of heaven. He says, wait, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. They will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. And so now he's talking about the tribulation period and the judgment upon spiritual Babylon. Now, we looked over the last few weeks at the resurrection of the nation of Israel. We looked at Ezekiel 37, the dry bones prophecy, where Ezekiel was shown the future, shown the Holocaust, I believe, and then the resurrection of the nation out of the ashes of the Holocaust. We also looked at how following Israel's return to their land in the last days, being regathered from the nations after they were scattered like dry bones, Uh, Then we see that Israel is attacked by enemies, specifically by Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And we looked at that last uh, Sunday and how that is uh, still a future prophecy to be fulfilled, this invasion of Russia, Iran, and Turkey. We also see that God uh, defends his people Israel. And it's interesting, Israel doesn't have anyone who steps up to help them in this war, this war of Gog and Magog. There's no other nations, United States or anybody else. There's no other nation that steps in to help Israel at this time. It's only God who saves his people. And this is how God reveals that he is the God of Israel. And this is the time when the Jews begin to turn back to God and to see the God of the Bible acting on their behalf and defending them, which will begin the, the great tribulation period in the tribulation period. So in Ezekiel chapter 39, after Ezekiel 37, the resurrection of the nation, Ezekiel 38, uh, the invasion of Russia, Turkey, and Iran into northern Israel, and then God defending them and defeating their enemies. We read this, Ezekiel 39, 21. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. 
Therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwell safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out from their enemies' lands, I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any more. And I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So after the war is uh, completed, where Israel doesn't even have to fight, God fights for them. God uses uh, natural disasters and earthquake fire and brimstone, hailstones, and, and all of these things flooding. God turns them against each other. They're going to turn and, and, and destroy each other, we're told. These invading armies are going to turn and fight each other, just like uh, God's enemies did in, in many times in, in ancient battles. Um, and, and then the whole world is really going to see that these are God's chosen people. Even the Jews are going to realize, like I said on Sunday, most of the Jews living in Israel today, the Israeli Jews, are not religious Jews. They're secular. And so they're really not, they're, they went back into the land in unbelief. But after this battle, after God destroys this invading army and gives them the spoils of war and so forth and establishes them among the nations because they couldn't have defeated this enemy on their own and no other nation comes in to help them, uh, then... Uh, the world is going to finally have respect for the Jews. And there's going to be a political in, uh, environment which will permit the Jews to rebuild their temple. We know there has to be a third temple in the land. The first temple built by Solomon was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The second temple that Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came out of the Babylonian captivity, they rebuilt the second temple. Herod actually made it one of the most beautiful ancient wonders of the world. King Herod did uh, in his day, right before the time of Christ. But then the uh, Romans destroyed the temple again in 70 AD. And so there is no temple in Jerusalem today. At this time, a temple is going to be rebuilt after, I believe, after God defends Israel against his, uh, uh, his enemies, against those who are trying to drive uh, the Jews and take the spoils and so forth, drive them out of the land. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel 40, all the way through the end of the book of Ezekiel, he talks about the rebuilt temple, but it, this is the temple that uh, will be during the millennial reign. So we know that... Um, right now, the political environment would not permit the Jews to rebuild their temple. The Europeans would never agree to it. The Arabs would never agree to it. Uh, but after this war, the things are going to change. People are going to have a new respect for Israel. And we believe prophetically that this is when the Antichrist comes on the scene. We don't think we're going to be here. The church is not going to be here to see the Antichrist. He won't be revealed until the restrainer is removed. We believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit who dwells within the church. So once the rapture happens, and it very well might be simultaneous with this war, where all eyes are going to be on the Middle East, they're being invaded by this innumerable, innumerable army from the north. God defends the Jews and, and, and saves the Jews and destroys their enemies. And then people look around and say, well, where's all the Christians, you know? The Christians are gone because we don't have to be here for that last seven-year period of time. That last seven-year period of time is for the Jews. It's Daniel's 70th week, as you will recall. We looked at Daniel chapter 9 a few weeks ago. And looked at the 70 weeks of Daniel, 77-year periods of time. We know that there is one more seven-year period of time left for God to fulfill his prophecy to the Jews. Again, Daniel 9.24 says, 77s, or weeks of seven years, are determined for your people. Daniel's people would be the Jews. For your holy city, the holy city would be Jerusalem. 
to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So God has these promises. They've never been fulfilled yet, which means they are future prophecies, where God is going to do all these wonderful things for the Jews and for Jerusalem. Now, we know that there's going to be an Antichrist who's going to come that is going to confirm a covenant with Israel for one week. We read that in verse 27 of Daniel 9. He says, then he, this is the the prince who is to come, uh, the Antichrist, he shall confirm a covenant or a treaty or an agreement with many for one week. Remember, one week is seven years, a seven-year period of time. But in the middle of the week, halfway through the seven years, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So because this last seven-year period has only to do with Israel, has nothing to do with the church, we believe the church age is over at this point. The rapture has already happened. God has called his bride, the church, the bride of Christ, into heaven to be with him forever. And God again begins to renew his covenant with Israel, to save Israel, and to redeem the nation of Israel for a seven-year period of time. So it's interesting that the Antichrist, the prince who is to come, he's going to confirm a covenant for seven years, which will likely allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. They're already ready to rebuild their temple. Anybody that's gone to Israel has gone through the tour in Jerusalem. I've been there with the Temple Institute. They have all the priests trained, all the garments. They have the red heifer. They have everything already ready to go to rebuild the temple. Uh, And they could probably have a temple up and functioning with animal sacrifices within a 90-day turnaround time at the latest. Knowing the Jews and the Israelis, they're always so wonderful at everything they do and so advanced in everything they do. They'd probably have this thing up and working within 30 days, I would imagine, today. I think it was 90 days five years ago they said it would take to have a fully functional temple where they're offering sacrifices and they're once again uh, appealing to God as they did in ancient times uh, through animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices. There have been no blood sacrifices in Jerusalem since 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the last temple in fulfillment of Jesus Christ's prophecy that not one stone of the temple would be left standing upon another. Yet we know there's going to be a temple in the last days. Jesus told us this. Daniel tells us this. We know that it's for a seven-year period of time, this agreement or this covenant with the Antichrist and yet, in the middle of the seven and a half, or the seven-year period, three and a half years into it, the middle of the week, he is going to stop the sacrifice and the offerings. And then we read about the abomination of desolations. On the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, Jesus told us about this abomination of desolations, and Jesus uh, warned those people who will be living in Jerusalem at that time when this comes to pass. When the Antichrist, three and a half years into the tribulation period, decides that he's going to stop all the sacrifices to God, he's going to demand to be worshipped as God at that time, halfway through the tribulation period. And then the last three and a half years are going to be the worst time for planet Earth and for humankind in all of history. Uh, uh, Jesus says that the days are going to be so bad. He says that if the days weren't cut short, no flesh would survive. It's going to be that bad for that three and a half year period when Satan is ruling over the earth. He's finally going to get what he wants. He's wanted to be worshipped. And by the way, there's plenty of people out there worshipping the devil today. Not just a bunch of punk rockers and, you know, uh, uh, metal rockers and all that. There's normal people now, normal business people, doctors and lawyers and successful politicians and so forth that are practicing Satanism, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. They're praying to Satan in public meetings now, at city council meetings throughout the United States. The Church of Satan, or the Satanic Church, has actually petitioned all over the country and in Canada to pray uh, over city council meetings in the name of Satan. You can see these things online. It's happening. This is what Satan's always wanted. He's always wanted to be worshipped as God. He's finally going to get that. The whole world is going to worship him during this time. And Jesus warns those who were there in Jerusalem at that time to flee. 
Uh, he says this in Matthew 24, 15, speaking of the time that we just read about in Daniel 9, 27, the abomination of desolation. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been. Since the beginning of the world unto this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now we know that this is not speaking to the church because the church doesn't celebrate the Sabbath day. Things don't shut down on the Sabbath day. He's speaking to the people who will be in Jerusalem when the Antichrist has allowed the Jews to rebuild their temple, because we already read about that in Daniel chapter 9. It's a future time for us, but at that time, the people who are there, uh, they are, they are going to have to get out of there as soon as they can, as quickly as they can. Once this Antichrist goes into the temple where they're offering sacrifices to God, and he comes in and demands to be worshipped as God. Jesus says, flee, get out of Jerusalem. And he says, pray it's not on the Sabbath day, because on the Sabbath day in Jerusalem, all public transportation, transportation is completely shut down. Nothing, I mean, I remember we were in uh, the Dead Sea on a Sabbath day, and you can't even touch the elevator because they consider it working uh, to push the button on the elevator uh, in, uh, in the Dead Sea on the Sabbath day. You actually go into an elevator and it stops at every single floor because it's, they consider it breaking the Sabbath to push the button uh, to, to, to run the elevator. So, you know, the Sabbath day is not celebrated anywhere else except for Israel today. And so this is not to the church. The, this is to the Jews at the time that the Antichrist is going to go into the temple, the rebuilt temple, and demand to be worshipped as God. We read about this also in Revelation chapter 13, where we read this in Revelation 13 verse, let's pick up in um, verse 3, Revelation 13 verse 3, speaking of the same time frame and the same event, he says, I saw one of his heads as, it, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. The last three and a half years uh, the great tribulation period. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints, these are the tribulation saints, and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue and nation. He's going to rule the whole world. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And so this is the abomination of desolation, where uh, the beast is going to be, or the Antichrist, is going to be worshipped as those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So the dragon is the devil, the beast is the Antichrist, uh, and this one who is uh, the false prophet, who has two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, this is kind of the Antichrist's right-hand man, like his spiritual leader. Satan does everything as a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have a counterfeit trinity here with the devil, the Antichrist, and 
the false prophet. And the devil wants to be worshipped as God. That's what he's always wanted, is to be worshipped as God. Remember, that's what he told Jesus. Bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, He has wanted to be worshipped from the very beginning. But it says that uh, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. He's going to be performing signs and miracles uh, in the sight of the beast. He's going to tell those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So this is another um, counterfeit, it does. So once uh, he receives this deadly wound by the sword and he lives, it says uh, the false prophet is going to uh, tell the people dwelling on the earth to make an image of him. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So again, this is all tied into the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years into the tribulation period, where, the, where Satan's man, the Antichrist, comes into the Holy of Holies, declares that he is God, demands to be worshipped as God. Jesus says, flee and get out of there as quickly as you can. Don't even go back to your house if you're in Jerusalem to get your coat. Pray that it doesn't happen in the winter on a Sabbath and that you're not pregnant and nursing babies. Uh, and, and, and then the devil is going to require everyone to worship this image of the beast. And in essence, to worship the beast. He was granted power to give breath to the image. So the image of the beast is going to come to life. Now, whether this is a hologram, who knows? I mean, they already have the technology of holograms uh, that, are, that, you know, that, are, that are kind of in three dimensions. And it's, you know, they could speak and so forth in a hologram. We already have this technology in place. Or whether it's just going to be some other technology where this, this uh, image is going to come to life. And it's going to speak. It's going to receive worship. And everyone is going to have to worship this image or this idol of the beast or he will be killed. He says he causes all, verse 16, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark of the beast uh, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And all of a sudden, everybody's getting tattooed with 666 and all of a sudden 666 is cool today. Everybody wants to have 666 around them. Uh, And it's going to be worse at this time. This is the number of the beast, 666. Six is the number of man. Three is the number of God. So it's, it's, it's man trying to become like God, the triunity of God. He is uh, going to require everyone to take a mark. It's interesting that he says that you have to take the mark on your right hand or your forehead and that you will not be able to buy or sell if you don't have the mark of the beast. And again, uh, Bible scholars in, 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 in uh, prior uh, centuries, they didn't, know, they didn't know what this meant. They didn't understand it. How could everybody be marked in the whole world? How could the whole world witness something taking place in Jerusalem? The whole world is going to see this. The whole world is going to wonder after the beast. The whole world is going to worship the beast. The whole world is going to worship an image that's going to come to life. They didn't understand any of this technology, but today we do. We have the technology today for everyone to watch something taking place all at the same time, live, something taking place on the other side of the world. We can all watch it live today because of the technology and because of the Internet. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, Hitler tried to pull some of this stuff off, but the, the technology wasn't in place at the time. You know, they had passports, and you could falsify documents and things like this. Under the Nazi regime, some people escaped because they had false uh, papers and so forth. But at this point, there's going to be no way to uh, counterfeit paperwork. You're going to have to take a mark by which you will be tracked and by which you will be excluded from the economy if you don't take the mark of the beast. And we would really be blind not to see that the technology is already here. I mean, they're already trying to get us to scan our phones so that we don't even have to use a credit card to pay for things anymore. You just hold your phone up, and it scans your phone, and then it takes it out of your bank account or out of your credit card or your Apple Pay or whatever it is to where they're, they're already implanting chips in people throughout Europe 
Sweden and Norway and these places, on the East Coast, there's all of these people putting computer chips into their hands so that they don't have to use They're going to be here for this. And uh, the, the Bible makes it very clear you are not allowed to take the mark of the beast. If you're here, you're listening to this message, you're here during the tribulation period, do not let anybody force you to take a mark on your right hand or your forehead. Uh, That's the devil's mark. It's the 666, and it's going to happen. The Bible predicted this thousands of years ago, and we could see that it's possible in our lifetime that this could be fulfilled. And so anyone who takes the mark of the beast will not be able to be saved. They will go to the lake of fire with the devil, with the Antichrist, and with the false prophet forever and ever and ever, the Bible says. No one can take the mark of the beast and be saved. Many people believe that this mark is going to have something to do with actually rewriting the genetic code. They're already working on vaccines and injections through CRISPR, it's, it's an amazing thing. They could edit your DNA now by putting in a, 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 a shot, a liquid into your arm where it actually has uh, the information to go into your DNA, cut out the part of the DNA they want to get rid of, and rewrite your DNA, and then you're, you're a different person. I mean, there's a lot of great things that we could help people with who have leukemia and different sicknesses and sickle cell anemia and these things. And, and, and they're, they're, they're developing this technology to edit DNA to help people who are born with these diseases. But you could see how easily it could be manipulated by some powerful dictator who wants to rewrite. I mean, they want to rewrite your brain. Uh, Elon Musk is already implanting Uh, computer chips into the heads of pigs. They're probably doing it with humans in other black projects and dark places in other countries where they're implanting these things not just in pigs and rats but in humans to affect your thinking to connect you directly to the internet through a wire in your brain. This is happening. This technology is happening right now. So it's believed that if you agree to take the mark of the beast, you may have your brain kind of rewired through this mark to change your DNA, to remove your free will. Well, you will have no choice anymore. You will lose your volition. God made us in his image with the will. Satan is going to take away the will of man to where if you take the mark, you will follow blindly the devil. And, and there will be no saving anyone, the Bible says, for those who take the mark of the beast. So all of this is, is, is describing the abomination of desolation that Jesus warned about, that Daniel warned about. We go back here to Isaiah 13, continuing in verse 5 again. He says, They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation, to destroy the whole land. Wait, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt. They will be afraid. Pangs and sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened. In its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. So again, this is speaking of the day of the Lord, which is the judgment of God upon a Christ-rejecting world, the tribulation period, the day of wrath, uh, the day of fierce anger, the Bible says. God's going to destroy the sinners uh, at that time from it. And the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun is going to be dark and the moon will not cause its light to shine. It's interesting, there was a lot of prophecies given that the moon is going to be turned to blood in the last days, before the end times. And do you know that they're saying that the moon is rusting today? The moon is turning red, even though it's not a lunar eclipse. Many of you saw the moon that was red, the last full moon, I think it was in September. It was red. And it wasn't just because of the fires and because of the smoke. 
the moon is actually rusting, and they can't understand it because there's no oxygen on the moon. They thought you needed oxygen for rust to, to form, uh, and water, liquid water and so forth with iron. But the moon is rusting. It is turning red, and that's exactly what the Bible predicted would be the case in the last days, that the moon would turn to blood. It would be blood red, and that the, the sun is going to go black, black like sackcloth uh, at, the, at the very end uh, before Christ comes back. So now he's talking about the, uh, the battle of Armageddon and how uh, uh, the day of the Lord is going to come to destroy the sinners from among it. Verse 11, he says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness or the high-mindedness, the arrogance of the terrible. I will make a mortal... More rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth will remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. It shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people. Everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, and their wives will be ravished. This was fulfilled on a, uh, to one degree with ancient Babylon, but it really is speaking of the future Babylon and the time where Jesus Christ is going to come back and judge uh, this future Babylon in the last days. We read in, in Revelation chapter 17 about this Babylon that's going to be uh, um, reborn in the last days, this ancient rebellious city where the Tower of Babel was built. It's, there's going to be a Babylon uh, in the last days. We read this in Revelation 17 and verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, or prostitute, who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her right hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This is the, the whore of Babylon, the scarlet woman who rides the beast. And whether this is a literal physical nation a Babylon being reborn in its ancient homeland or whether this is a spiritual uh, rebirth of, of Babylon, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But there is going to be this, uh, uh, this false church. You know, the bride of Christ is, is called the bride of Christ. We're a bride. We're, we're a woman. You know, the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. This is going to be like the bride of Satan. This is going to be a whore. Instead of a pure bride, like the church is a pure bride, white and clean and pure. This is going to be a, a whore that's full of fornication and abominations. And she's going to be drunk with the blood of the saints. So this is likely to be the religious system that is going to replace the church after the true church is taken to heaven at the rapture. This is going to be the false church, which is, again, already being developed. I read today that the Pope decided that gay marriage is, is, is not wrong with God and that he says that we should allow in the Catholic Church uh, gay families and gay marriage with kids and things like this, uh, civil unions, and, and, and nobody should be, you know, uh, prevented from, from coming to church and celebrating, even if they're uh, practicing a lifestyle that the Bible says is against God's word. 
So you, you, have, you have the spiritual whore that's already been presented. All of the nations of the earth, all of the religions are going to become one. You're going to have one religion. You're going to have one government. You're going to have one currency at this time. And Satan is going to be the head of all of them. And so God is saying that this whore of Babylon, this false church, uh, is going to be drunk with the blood of the saints. The church is going to be helping the Antichrist to go after people and kill them, to spill their blood, if they won't worship the Antichrist or take the mark of the beast. Now we read in chapter 18 of Revelation, this uh, city of Babylon that is destroyed, this economic Babylon. You have the spiritual Babylon in Revelation uh, 17, the horror Babylon. Then you have the, the city, the economic Babylon in Revelation 18. And we read this in Revelation 18:1. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she, lived that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Now, Isaiah was also speaking about this judgment of this Babylon in Isaiah chapter 13. He continues, he says, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuri luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster who traveled by the sea, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. 
The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman or craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of of prophets and of saints and of all who were slain on the earth. And in the first couple verses of the next chapter, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. This is the false church that the Antichrist is going to be running and ruling over. The false prophet is going to be demanding that everyone worship the beast, worship the Antichrist, the dragon, the devil, take his mark and so forth. And the kings and the merchants of the earth are going to get rich off of this religious system. Uh, many see the Roman Catholic Church here as the Hora Babylon. Uh, I certainly believe that the Roman Catholic Church will be part of this. I think it's going to be all of the churches that are left after the rapture that are going to make up this false church, the Hora Babylon. Uh, and it's, it's amazing to see that we are living in the days that these prophecies could potentially be fulfilled, like no time in history. So we go back to Isaiah where we started. Picking up in verse 17. Chapter 13, verse 17. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. Now he's pivoting back to the, uh, the Medes and the Persians that are going to come against the Babylonians uh, within a couple hundred years. So he looked out to the future. Now he's looking back to the uh, you know, more near fulfillment. And they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children. An ancient war was brutal. They killed the children. They raped the women. They carried the men off and sometimes poked their eyes out, cut their t uh, uh, tongues out, cut their thumbs off, their toes off so they couldn't grab a sword and fight again. It was brutal uh, in the ancient world when you were conquered by an enemy. He says, in Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, or the Arab pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there. Their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there and wild goats will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels and jackals in their pleasant places. Her time is near to come and her days will not be prolonged. And it is interesting that uh, archaeologists and Bible scholars tell us that this prophecy has been fulfilled in ancient Babylon. That the city was destroyed and when it was destroyed, uh, it was never rebuilt uh, Babylon is today modern-day Iraq, and the area of ancient Babylon, which was one of uh, the, the seven ancient wonders of the world when Nebuchadnezzar was the king over Babylon, was destroyed, and nothing was rebuilt there. It's, it's a wasteland today, as the Bible predicted it would be, after being the glory of the whole earth. And Isaiah was prophesying 200 years before it happened. Babylon didn't even exist when Isaiah was prophesying this, not as the powerful nation that they would become. Uh, and so it's just amazing how God tells the future in advance, how we know that his word is true. He proves that his word is true uh, through prophecy and through fulfilled prophecy. So uh, this Sunday, you're not going to want to miss the message. It's, it's going to be interesting. We will really focus on Cyrus and we'll focus on uh, the fall of Babylon um, w which took place in, in, in roughly 539 or so BC. And we'll look at that story in some more detail on Sunday. Please join me in a word of prayer. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for telling us 
what's coming. You tell us with, with precise, exact accuracy the future. Help us, Lord God, to not become discouraged, not become disheartened, Lord, by what we see around us, but to know, Lord, that you predicted these things. You predicted these times, these seasons, and these days, Lord. We know that the days are going to grow darker and they're going to become more difficult for the people on the earth. But, Lord, we pray that we would be strong for you. We would be salt and light, Lord. We would let our light shine brightly without being ashamed of our faith, Lord, and that we would seek to preserve righteousness and truth as salt would preserve, Lord God, in the ancient times. Make us salt and light, Father, in these last days. We thank you, Lord, that we are going to overcome because you overcame the devil. You overcame hell, Jesus. You overcame sin and death on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, for saving us from our sins. Thank you for seating us in heavenly places with you, Jesus. Thank you that we are your bride, the pure bride of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to come back and take us to heaven where we will be with you forever and ever. Bless us this week, Father. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at C-O-A-H podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.